0: Well, good morning. Great to have you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 19. Uh, John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, in our passage today that Phil uh, read, uh, we have arrived at the cross. And uh, going through the gospel of John, it's taken us about two years, uh, not quite two years to get to the cross, uh, but we are here. And uh, somebody who had lived for the Lord a very long time in his life uh, said something profound that I, that I have never forgotten. And when it comes to the cross, you never go beyond the cross, uh, but if you're fortunate in life, you'll go deeper into the meaning of the cross. And I pray that that's what uh, we'll do here uh, this morning uh, in, our, in our time here uh, this morning. Now, we've given you a map each of the weeks to kind of show in this last week of Christ's life, last hours. Uh, the footsteps of Christ, and uh, this morning uh, I'll play just a little excerpt of, it's called the Via Della Rosa. it's the way of suffering. If you went over to Israel, there would be little pavers in the ground, and they would say Via Della Rosa, way of suffering, and they lead you out uh, to this place that they believe is uh, Calvary or Golgotha. But if you have your Bibles, and just by way of introduction, if you turn to John chapter 19, if you look at verse 16 and 17, it says, uh, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus. Verse 17, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic or Hebrew is called Golgotha, called Golgotha. So... Uh, the Greek word uh, for where what we would call Calvary uh, is called the place of the skull, crannion. It's where we where we get our uh, word for for our for our head area. In Hebrew, it's called Golgotha, and in Latin, it's called Calvary. And we've picked up and we use Calvary more than Golgotha or place of the skull. It is interesting that the word Calvary is nowhere in scripture. Uh, there's, no, there's no Latin. Uh, the King James Version does in Luke 23 use that word, uh, but, but that's a Latin translation of the word. So it's called the place of the skull, the Via Dolorosa. So let me just kind of show you. So we've gone from the praetorium and Pilate. Uh, he's turned him over now to be crucified. And this would be some rough version of what's called the Via Delorosa, Golgotha, which is Hebrew or Aramaic for uh, the place of the skull. Uh, when you go to Israel, uh, they'll show you two potential places uh, that were uh, probably, possibly, where Christ was crucified. And uh, uh, I took a picture of the one that seemed uh, most likely uh, to me. And if you kind of stare at that, the, the word Golgotha just means a hill that looks like a skull. And you can, you can kind of see that in the hillside uh, there uh, just a little bit. Right behind that hill is a garden, and uh, so, so you could, you could uh, visualize this actually being the place. If you went over to Israel, you'd be very bummed because what I cut out of that picture, I'm standing in a a parking lot of a bus station and hundreds of buses going in and out of there. And basically, this hill backed right up uh, to the very back of a bus station. So people are going on with their life, uh, not even aware that this is very possibly the very place that Christ died on the cross, the place called the Place of the Skull, or Golgotha. Uh, It says uh, in our scriptures, in verse 18, that they crucified him. That they crucified him. Now, if you've been a part of Christianity, uh, that's not a new thought to you. That's not a new concept to you. But just to uh, make you just a little bit aware of what, what actual crucifixion was, it was designed by the Persians in 1000 B.C., Uh, this form of executing people. Uh, They were kind of like the first people, or at least they carried it on, uh, to believe in what's called Mother Earth. And uh, the Persians did not want to defile the ground. So when they executed somebody, when they gave the death penalty to somebody, when they shed blood of somebody, they came up with this idea, let's not do it and contaminate the ground, let's lift them off of the ground. So in about 1,000 B.C., you had this idea of crucifixion where a person is raised about uh, three, uh, three, two or three feet off of the ground and they're either crucified on an a-, a tree or if they uh, made a beam, uh, they would be crucified on the beam. So crucifixion was designed by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. Uh, they knew exactly how much punishment to mete out uh, where the victim would almost die before he got crucified and they could uh, very easily time out uh, by the person how long the person would be hanging on the cross. Uh, the average was around three days and what they would die of normally is dehydration and asphyxiation. Their body would just collapse. It would not be able to get, uh, would not be able to get any air. Most individuals that were crucified, uh, Romans would not allow one of their citizens, only uh, slaves and murderers, Um, uh, but most of them would go stark mad while they're hanging on the cross. As you can imagine, in the heat of the day and the cold of the night, uh, the pain and the emotional uh, pain would just drive them baddie. There's all kinds of historical accounts of people just losing it on the cross and just yelling out like madmen. And of course, you don't see that with Christ. You see calm and cool and collected and composed, um, unlike... Others. Well, the Via Della Rosa, when they would walk that, when they left the praetorium, uh, uh, the, the palace there where Pilate was, uh, they would walk these uh, ones to be crucified down this road, uh, maybe, I don't know, six, seven hundred yards, something like that, to outside the city, and uh, they would lead them with a sign of the crime that they committed. So as it's recorded in John here, Pilate knew that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. He, he said numerous times, this man's innocent. And uh, we went through last week, everybody said that Jesus was innocent. So Pilate, not knowing that he was being guided by the very hand of God, wrote on Jesus' sign in three languages for everybody to read. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the king of the Jews. And of course, in our account and all the other accounts, the Jews wanted him to change that and put on their, he said he's the king of the Jews. But Pilate said, what I've, what I've written, I have written. Now, if you look down at verse 25, you'll see who's gathered around the cross as far as disciples are concerned. And there's going to be a list of five people. Four of them are women Verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, she's not named here, but just his mother, and his mother's sister, that's woman number two, number three, Mary the wife of Clopas, and number four, Mary Magdalene. And then verse 26, you have to read and to find the apostle John who never used his own name in his gospel when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John described himself. So, so you got Jesus' mother. And I want you to notice in verse 25, standing by the cross. In the original language, it literally means standing beside the cross. That, that, would, be, that would be Jesus right here, and Mary, his mother, right there. That's what it would mean. Uh, Mary's sister, who we know in Scripture, is her name is Salome. She is the mother of James and John. So John the apostle who has a role to play at the cross. Jesus is here, and John is right there, and John's mom is right there. So you got two mamas right there. You yeah, have Mary, the wife of Clopas. She was the first one at the resurrection tomb. And then Mary Magdalene in Luke 8, it says she's the woman that Jesus cast out seven demons and she was made right. She was transformed. She never left the side of Christ. And then John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, on the cross, if you put all of the accounts together, uh, Jesus spoke seven different times. Uh, Three of those seven, John recorded for us uh, right here. If you look at John chapter 19, verse 26 and verse 27, there's a word of affection where Jesus, uh, even though he's hanging on the cross, he's looking for his mom. His mom's right there, says to John, from this day forward, I want you to take my mom. And it says from that hour forward, uh, John uh, took Mary uh, to, to, uh, to go home with him. So it was a word of affection. Uh, The fifth word that was spoken is a word of suffering in John chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus said, I thirst. And that had been very natural for somebody to hang on the cross. We'll, We'll talk about that in just a second. And then the sixth word out of seven, but the last one that John records is in John 19 and verse 30. It is finished. And what I'd like to do this morning is spend our time on this phrase that Jesus spoke to Telestai, it is finished. So I'm going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the Lord to individually just kind of take us deeper into the cross. You don't go beyond it. Um, Hopefully this will, uh, hopefully the cross isn't a whole hum thing for you. Uh, If you you feel like I'm just kind of cold to this, I've heard this, been around this, Uh, this is normal Christianity, then why I'm praying, you ask God uh, to forgive you and to rejuvenate your thoughts about the cross. Let me pray. Father, we, we have the cross in our foyer and on our stage. Uh, many many uh, individuals in our church family would have a, a necklace, maybe an earring, maybe even a tattoo with the cross. We hear about the cross. We preach about the cross. We speak about the cross. We're thankful for the cross. But, but in all that familiarity, Lord, there has been uh, just some normalness that's added up over the years. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, take a hammer to our hard hearts here and, and get that crustiness off of our hearts and help us uh, to just spend some moments uh, thinking about what your son accomplished on the cross, and we'll give you the praise and the glory this morning in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now, uh, help me out here so I don't feel like I'm on an island, but uh, many of us are, are great starters, but not so good finishers. Would you, would you say amen without giving your married partner an elbow in the ribs? Okay. Uh, my wife said amen, the first service here. Uh, we're quick to embark, slow to finish. Uh, if you, if you, if I were to take you to my bedstand or the little office we have at our home, there's uh, there's at least 12 books that are half read. Has anybody, has anybody uh, been there with me? Uh, have you ever, uh, have you ever uh, gotten Christmas cards like the pictures and never sent them? Okay, I've done that before. How about uh, maybe this is for some of you? New Year's resolutions for diet and exercise, and and here it is. It's not even Easter yet, and those are out the window. How many here have had a treadmill that you actually were able to hang iron clothes on It made a nice place for that? So we're great starters, not great finishers. That's not so with God, amen? What he starts, he finishes. And this phrase today, it is finished, is loaded from verse 30 with meaning. It is finished. It's one word in the original, it's three words in English. The word is to telesty. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that when he yelled from the cross, John doesn't say it, but with a loud voice he said to tellsty so everyone could hear it. It is finished. It literally means to make an end, to finish a task, to complete a project, to accomplish a goal. It means to pay in full. And I want you to see, or at least think about with me this morning, uh, that this isn't, a, uh, this isn't a bummer word. This is actually a happy word. Uh, this is a word that would be used whenever you're celebrating or you're proclaiming something uh, great that uh, just got done. It's a, it's a word of victory, honestly. Uh, in Christ's day, um, historians wrote many ways that this word to telesti would have been used. And it's it's helpful just to kind of get an idea. How was this word that Jesus is using here, how was it, it uh used? In Jesus' day, about 50% of the people were slaves. Now, don't think of slaves like we would think of slaves today because most of the slaves were very happy with their so-called owner and never wanted to leave. It would be more like an employer-employee relationship. But if a slave was given or a servant was given a task uh, that was difficult, whenever the servant finished the task, he would go to the master or the owner or the employer, and he would say, "To like this is like it's uh, like it's accomplished." If you were a Jew in Jesus' day, and you were going to come to Jerusalem, and you wanted to go into the temple, for your family, you would have to bring a lamb. You'd have to bring the best lamb, uh, the most perfect lamb that you had of all of your lambs, and you you would bring it to a priest, and they would inspect it. The priest would have to okay it uh, to be used for sacrifice so that you could uh, then go into the temple. So whenever a priest inspected a sacrificial lamb and it passed the test, he would go to Telestai. And so, so you would know that it was acceptable that it was done. Uh, when an artist, uh, maybe if you think like M- uh, Michelangelo or, or some artist like that, when they would do a great uh, piece of artwork and it would take them months or weeks or months or e- even years in some cases, when the artist would stand back and look at the finished canvas and the artist was pleased uh, with how it turned out, he would say, tetelestai, and Uh, And then certainly we can enter into this both uh, from uh, somebody who's a merchant and somebody who owed the merchant. Whenever a merchant was owed an amount of money and the person came in and made the last payment, made the last installment, he would stamp it to telestai. So the person leaving would know he's paid in full. The person that got paid would know it's been uh, paid in full. So in the history of the word, it's always a word to celebrate and accomplish uh, task. I, I was thinking uh, for my own life, and I, I, you know, you can think for your own life. I, I was thinking uh, b- back in in uh, in 2000 when I graduated uh, from seminary. My wife, with five kids, and she she did way more of the work uh, than than I did. And I was reading all these books, and that last month or two, I was reading like 500 pages of small type. Seemed like every day, and I was wearing out. And when I walk across the stage, and lo and behold, that. Was actually signed. You know, if I would have had this word, I would have said to like like it's it's finally done. In 2018, my wife and I decided to paint the whole outside of our house by ourselves. And and uh and uh you know, about in the, the middle of the project, I wish I would have just started in the on the back side of the house because I would have just stopped right there, you know, nobody else would have seen it. But man, when we got done, we, we, we got a glass of lemonade or tea. And I said, honey, get in the car. We're going to drive down the street and look at our house that we just painted. And, you know, I would have said, die, it is, it is done. And, and uh, I remember we actually did that. My wife and I were like, man, that's, that's pretty sharp right there. And my wife had to rain on my parade and said, Dave, the unattached garage we haven't touched yet. It's, it's got to be painted. So Here's what I want you to think. When Christ said to Telestai, it is finished, it was done, never to be repeated, never to be added to. Well, that, that's not like how we would use the word. Uh, you have a nicely mowed yard, you want to you kind of see it. Well, two days later, we're going to, you, you, you have this time of, of like, like, it really looks good. Well, in a couple of days, I'm going to have to mow it again. Uh, Maybe it's a goal at work and if you were in sales like I was, you have a monthly goal and and you accomplish the goal and there's this great feeling. And then Monday you go back into work and you got to start all over again. You're only as good as your last month. And so for humans, it's kind of like it's never actually completely over. With Christ, it was completely over. I was reminded after the first uh, service that one of the times that I personally would have said uh, to Telestai, uh, my my buddy Gary, who got me in trouble a number of years ago, said, Dave, why didn't you bring up when you got arrested at the Masters uh, Golf Tournament, Uh, wrongfully arrested by the way, I know every criminal says that, Uh, but for me it's true, Uh, I got thrown in the slammer and my good buddy walked away from, no, he didn't walk away from me, but but about four o'clock in the afternoon when I actually got out and the, the revolving door went around and I stepped outside to like freedom and I was like, I can actually not, I can do what I want to do. I, I would have said to I, like that is, that is over. I never, I never want to uh, do that again. But for Christ, when he said it is over, it was complete. It was never to be repeated again, uh, never to be added to. It was finished for all time. And this is what separates authentic evangelical Christianity from every other religion, including the religion that I grew up in. Every other religion is uh, centered around a two-letter word, which is do, do this, don't do that, do this, do this, do more of that how much of that do I need to do? Where authentic Christianity, because Jesus said it is finished, is a four-letter word, and it's the word done. Not do, it is done. This is what separates authentic evangelical Christianity from every other religion in the world. And so let me take you through and just, there, there could be a list of a dozen things. I have four things here and I'll kind of have to fly through these and we'll end with the Apostle John. What did Christ's death on the cross when he said to Telestai, what did he accomplish? What was, what was done? Let me give you four things. Number one, it sealed prophecy. It sealed prophecy. Now, Someone has taken the time over years to say that in Scripture there are over 300-plus prophecies about Christ and that He fulfilled every one of them. And it would be a mathematical impossibility to have that many uh, prophecies even half, even a tenth, even a hundredth of those prophecies, 700, a thousand years earlier, all fulfilled. And yet Christ did that. Let me give you six or seven that are just found right in our passage. And this is really skimming the passage. But I want you to see when he said it is finished, he he fulfilled every prophecy that the authors of the Old Testament wrote about him. Let me just give them to you. I'll just list them. In John 19 and verse 17, you see a little phrase. It just says, and he went out. It literally means that he went outside the city. Uh, That's why our little map, if you notice, went outside the city gates, just outside uh, the city. And even that was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Leviticus chapter 16, they would have the scapegoat, and it was literally called the scapegoat. And the priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat like that and symbolically taking the sins of the people, placing them on the scapegoat, and then they would move the scapegoat. They'd have people along the path that would keep the goat moving outside the city. So even the fact that he was crucified outside the city. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right here, have a little phrase that John didn't include. And it says that they led him away. They didn't drag him. Or they didn't drive him. He was led away. And Isaiah 53 and verse 7 said that when the suffering servant, the Messiah, comes, he will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. There wasn't a crucified person who just automatically, where they said, walk. They would have to whip him and beat him and pull him and drag him. There isn't any way I want to get out 600 yards from here where I'm going to be crucified. I'm doing everything I can not to make it there, not with Christ. Uh, Just the idea in John 19 and verse 18 where it says they crucified him. Uh, that's found in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Uh, They pierced him. Uh, Psalm 22 and verse 16 says they pierced his hands and feet. Okay, now for the Jews, they didn't even know about crucifixion. Uh, The way that they would execute somebody is they would stone them to death. And, And maybe this is a little too graphic. They would never think about raising somebody up. So even the prophecy about crucifixion, would have been something the Jews themselves never even, never even understood. The, the Jews, uh, the nation of Israel, they would dig like a pit that they would have and for capital punishment, and they would put the person at the edge of the pit. They would describe what the crime was. They would kick them into the pit, and then they would have these big boulders that they would roll over and stone them and crush them to death. So even the idea of being crucified was, was prophetic. Uh, Jesus said in John 12, and the disciples never got this, uh, when I am lifted up, and it says he was talking about what manner of death he would go through, when I'm lifted up, God will draw all men, I'll draw all men, Jesus said, uh, to to himself. It says in John 19 and verse 18 that he was crucified uh, with two others, one on each side, Jesus in between. Isaiah 53 and verse 12, 700 years before this, uh, maybe even longer, uh, said that he would be numbered, he, he would be in line with transgressors. He'd be in line with transgressors. Uh, In John 19, verse 23 and verse 24, it talks about the garments. And you had the Roman soldiers. And the Romans took whatever the crucified person owned. They just took it as their own. It was kind of their payment. So they rolled dice for the different things. And they had the one tunic. It wasn't. And this was all according to Scripture. Psalm 22 and verse 18 says, They divided my garments, and for clothing they cast lots. This is exactly how God said it would go. Let me give you just... A couple more. In John uh, 19, uh, verse 28, and verse 29. Actually, if you put your eyes there, I want you to see uh, something here in the text. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said, Notice this is the phrase, it's in verse 24 as well to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Psalm 22, verse 14 and 15 said the suffering Messiah would be so dry in his mouth, his tongue would stick to his upper roof of his mouth. That's what Scripture, Psalm 69 and verse 21, talks about being offered sour wine. Matthew chapter 27 said he was offered wine mixed with gall and he didn't take it. That's a pain deadener. And then a little bit later they offered him sour wine, no pain deadener, and he took that. Now, I just want you to think about this because we're talking about God's in control. Christ is in control of this whole setting. I just want you to notice that he said, I thirst in verse 28 and 29, and in verse 30, he dies. He he didn't take a drink to stay alive longer. According to scripture, he took a drink to fulfill what the scripture said, that he was going to say, I thirst, and took a drink. He is totally composed as he's, as he's hanging on the cross. And then just, in a, just a little word that you would just pass over. It says that they took this hyssop branch and they put the sour wine and they reached up to him. And, and if you would have been a Jew that would have been around there when they saw that happening, your mind would have been gone back to Exodus 12 and when the Passover was going to take place, God said, uh, you, you, you take the blood of the lamb and you take the hyssop branch and you apply the blood on the doorpost. So, so even individual words were prophetic fulfillments. And then lastly, I want you to notice in verse Uh, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's in total control of dying. When a person dies, they give up their spirit and then they bow their head. That's that's not the case. That's not the case with Christ. Psalm 31 says, and I gave my spirit uh, to the Lord. And if you have your Bible, just turn to John chapter 10, just a couple pages over. I'll just read verse 17 and 18. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 17, I want you to see the total control and that he gave up his spirit. It says in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So so he laid down his head, and he said, it is finished. He laid down his head, and then he gave up his spirit. A Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, and this is an accurate translation of of this word about uh, bowing his head. He pillowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Total control. And so we should be thankful when Jesus said, it is finished, that just a little sliver of that meaning is everything that was said about the Messiah, I, Jesus, have completed. You can have confidence in me, the person. Now, let me give you these last ones uh, fairly uh, quick here, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. Uh, secondly, and again, there could be a dozen of these. What did Christ's death accomplish? It saves hellbound sinners. Amen? When he said, it is finished, the, the price was paid. The cost the cost was covered. The innocent man, man died uh, for the sinner. The wages of sin is death, spiritual death, separation from God. He said, it is finished. The debt of sin, the wrath of God, physical, spiritual separation from God forever. If you believe in the finished work, it is finished. That's why I say this is a huge difference between religion and a relationship with Christ. Religion, you do it. In a relationship with Christ, he did it, amen? He did it. Here's what word of God says about somebody that hasn't placed their trust in the finished work of Christ alone. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment uh, will be revealed. The sinless one uh, became sin for us. That's what you need to see. Josh uh, quoted this uh, verse right before uh, we sang that, that new song. And this verse has had such an impact on my own uh, personal life. For our sake, he uh, made him, Christ, to be sin, Christ who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we we might become the righteousness of God. If you, if you pictured a shirt, a, a t-shirt that's oil stained and dirt stained and grandma and grandpa stained and and it's just it's just it's just just throw the shirt away. it would be like christ's beautiful robe pure robe placed on me, and he takes my shirt and puts it on himself uh, at the cross. the finished work of Christ on the cross it makes all the difference um, hebrews ten which are the verses to uh, memorize on the gold card. I I have Hebrews 11 there, but it's Hebrews 10. I I made the mistake when I I sent that. But but read the gold part with me as I read these verses. Uh, Think about, uh, like I think about Roman Catholicism, which is how I was raised. The Jews would have thought about the temple sacrifices. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Say it with me. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Uh, num- verse 14, For a, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being uh, sanctified. We say amen to that, right? He, his finished work on the cross. Uh, number three, when he died on the cross, he said it is finished. Those who place their trust in Christ can be secure that when they physically die, they're going to go straight into the presence of God. I can't think of my own life of how great of a value this is. We, when we share the gospel with people, we always make sure to go through. And John wrote these verses. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Uh, This life is in His Son. It's not in uh, baptism. It's not in confirmation. It's not in church membership. It's not in ministry service. This life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son, say it with me, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Say the last phrase with me, that you may know that you have eternal life. You might be here today, and you say, well, how can you know if you're going to go to heaven or hell uh, until you die, until your life is done? Well, God says you can know. You place your trust in his finished work on the cross, you're going to heaven. Amen? Now, go out in the world and tell anybody that wants to hear, hey, don't worry about me. When I die, I'm going to heaven. They'll look at you and think that you're the most prideful person on earth, because they'll think, well, you think you've done enough for heaven? No, 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 no. My Savior did it all, amen? My Savior did it all. And then lastly, and I want to end with the, with the, the Apostle John himself. The, what, what did Christ's death accomplish? W- when I ponder it, and I'm not going to go beyond it, but I want to go deeper into it. Uh, the way that God takes me deeper into it for me personally is I understand when I contemplate the cross how much Christ loved me. In the scene, as Christ is hanging on the cross, crucify him, spitting, wagging their tongues at him, in the scene of greatest hate, love dominates. That's what God the Father wants you to see. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. The cross radically transforms lives. You ought to ask yourself, am I radically transformed? Not perfect, not anywhere near where you want to be, but you're thankful you're not where you used to be. Is your life transformed? Is it, has the cross transformed? transform your life. Can, can, you, can, you, can you say, wow, the cross has made all the difference, trusting in the cross, having, having in my mind the fact that I'm eternally secure because of what Christ has done. In the entire gospel of John, John's writing as a 90-year-old probably. In the entire gospel, John never uses his name. He always uses uh, this little phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, bear with me for this one second. I just want to show you this, and, and, I, and I want to have a challenge. Do you know that John had a nickname? Does anybody know what John's, John's nickname uh, was? John, uh, J- James and John, they had a nickname. Does anybody, somebody yell it out if you know it. Sons of Thunder, that was the nickname. Do you know how, how, they got the, how they got the nickname Sons of Thunder? Well, if you have your Bible, just I promise, it just be a minute. If you turn to Luke chapter 9, and here's what I want you to see as I close. I want you to see that John was radically transformed by being at the foot of the cross. He was never the same person when he saw the love of Christ as displayed on the cross. So here's John and they're, 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 being sent out. And it says in Luke nine in verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's talking about Jesus. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations. But the people did not receive him. Verse 53, uh, because he, his face was set towards Jerusalem and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, so here's the Samaritans. They're not going to have anything to do with this Jesus. They're not interested in him. Uh, when, when his disciples, James and John, saw it, here's what they said. This is before the cross. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Like, let's just, let's do that zap thing that you're good at. You know, like, bam, let's, let's turn them into ashes right down here. And, and it says uh, in verse uh, 55, but he turned and rebuked them. But in his old age, as he's writing the gospel of John, he didn't want to be known as the son of thunder. I guarantee you, he was embarrassed that he ever thought that about people who didn't know Christ. John 13, John 19, John 20, John 21, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. His life was radically transformed by the cross of Christ. Has it radically transformed you? How do you see people in this crazy culture? Do you, could you, uh, excuse my language, to hell with them? I hate the world. They're idiots. God, if you're holy, why not just send a bolt down right here at this idiot who doesn't understand how much you love him? Is that how you see people? Is there a touch of that in you? Could John, if I could get him to come back and heaven will be able to talk about it, he said, Dave... I I didn't, before the cross, that's how I felt about other people after the cross. And I thought about how much he loves me. How do you see people? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as in need of the finished work of Christ? How do you see Jesus? Calvary is the place where a person goes to have their sins forgiven and their lives transformed. Let me pray. father with with a genuine heart right now i say father i know that there's so much more in this passage i know i can't even enter into the emotions father that you had when you stayed quiet And in all your power and your majesty, you kept your hands off and you let your son be crucified. Can't imagine the emotion of Mama standing beside the cross. All the hate, all the anger, all the jeering, all the mocking. Uh, Lord at lakeside here uh, there, there's no uh, there 's no going beyond the cross. Would you help us go deeper into it Lord, if there 's one here that has been religious and Lord, would they see that when you said it is finished, that their sin debt was paid in full, that that their their only response is a response of faith to believe and to receive forgiveness that you offer to believe and receive your son. Oh Lord, might we go out here this week living our lives as a thank you back to you. Might we each have an opportunity to tell somebody I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Could I tell you about it? Thank you for the cross. Help it in the history of Lakeside, in my life and our lives, to be more meaningful each and every day that goes by. We'll thank you for your graciousness and your mercy and your love that was demonstrated at the cross. In Christ's precious name, amen.